So the kingdom of God invaded the Roman Empire because God wanted to have mercy on people. He knew better than we did how to bring peace and goodness to the earth. And he sent a king. Now this king was going to be a different kind of king. Uh, in fact, he's going to be so different that he is virtually going to redefine what a king is. But he is still a king. So we have to let him be a king at the same time show us what a true king looks like. And that means we have to let him purge away all the bad uh, images of kingship that human kings have uh, left in our minds. It makes king, kingship a bad thing for us, especially those that live in uh, democratic societies, but also those that live in kingdoms today. Um, so Jesus himself sort of got uh, a handle on this when he stood before Pilate, who was representing the Roman Caesar, and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. A lot of us today think that what he meant was his kingdom is in heaven, and so that's what we think the kingdom of God is, that it's just another word for going to heaven after you die. That is just not the case. Why would Jesus have us pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if going to heaven is really all he had in mind. No, he's going to bring heaven on earth, and he's going to transform the earth, as we're going to see in a minute here. God tried to show us in advance, before Jesus came, that he was going to be a different kind of king. In the prophet Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, and this is what God told us about the king, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So this is a description of how Jesus the king is going to be different from all other kings. It's also a description of the life of Jesus when he came. It's a perfect description of how Jesus himself lived and then what he taught his disciples and what the disciples taught the apostolic fathers of the church as the, as the teaching of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom began to get into the early church. And so the pattern of by my spirit is what we're gonna be talking about as we describe the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does not advance by worldly patterns. Jesus comes and establishes his own pattern. So if you're going to accept him as a king, then you need to understand what his pattern is. And that pattern is a by my spirit pattern. It's not a power and might pattern. So now we have to ask ourselves, what does that pattern actually look like? And what I want to say here is that as I've studied the pattern, in every age, wherever the kingdom of God has been manifested and revealed throughout the ages, it's the same 
pattern. It never varies. The people who were involved in advancing the kingdom always show this pattern. Maybe weak in some areas and, and, and strong in other areas, but it's always the same pattern that returns. God is constantly trying to bring us back to this pattern, the by my spirit pattern. So let's look at seven ingredients to the pattern and the first and the most important one, surrender to the king. I like to look at it as the, old, the knights of old, you know, the knights of the round table and King Arthur and uh, they, the way that the knight would bow before the king. The king would place the sword on one shoulder and the other shoulder. And what's happening here is that the knight is recognizing that from then on, he's no longer his own person. He belongs to the king and he's going to be in service of the king and he's going to fight the king's battles and represent the king wherever he goes. And it's that kind of surrender. We need to make sure we understand that there is a twisted idea of surrender that we don't want to get into. I believe Satan twists this whole thing so that it will turn it into something bad rather than something good. Um, Jesus loves us, and he has the best plan for our lives that you could possibly imagine. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand, that we might walk in them. The thing is, we've got to surrender our lives to him and stop trying to make our lives into what we think so that letting go and letting God, we allow him to lead us into this better plan. Uh, he can't do that if we're not going to let him. So the surrendered life is so important. Uh, for example, Islam means submission. But when you get into Islam and you study it, you realize it's a submission of bondage, of slavery, of, of giving up your rights to others. And uh, then Sharia law coming in and becoming another form of bondage. This is not what we're talking about. So that's a twisted kind of thing. We're talking about more the surrender of uh Two lovers, when they're, when they're going to get married, the husband and the wife, they need to surrender the kind of life they had before as single people, um, where they're just kind of looking to improve themselves and have their own way. No, now they've got to come in and become something different, and they've got to... Uh, release their own will to have their way and allow this other person to come in and now they're going to be a married couple and they're going to learn the new pattern of covenant love and and that means it's us now it's us together but you have to surrender your need to have your way if that marriage is going to work and if you don't do that that's going to be a miserable marriage um, and so a, there's a surrender that is required. It's a surrender of love. And it's the same kind of thing that we're talking about with entering into the kingdom of God. We, we recognize that God has a far more loving plan for our lives than what we could even imagine or think of. Also a more significant life that we'll be leading as his people. 
than if we just went ahead and did whatever we wanted to do ourselves. So letting go and letting God would be the first thing. And then together with that and leading directly into that is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus clearly promised all of his disciples. And then Peter said uh, to your children and your children's children in his first sermon in Acts uh, chapter 2. And so this is a, this is definitely not something just for those who were experiencing the day of Pentecost in that first generation, but it's something that's promised again and again. And then together with that, he writes our laws on our hearts. This is a progressive thing that he does as we let him. And he, he increases areas of conscience. He, he moves through our hearts to understand, to comprehend his love, but then not only his love, but the way he defines love and the way he wants us to show love to others. And we become moral people and ethical people, but it's not through an external set of rules, but it's through the laws of God becoming very real and very important to us. And along with that kind of summarizing it is uh, the pattern of humility and servanthood um, where Jesus says I came to you as one who serves and the servant is not greater than his master so now you're my servants but you you need to learn how to serve one another in love okay so that's a really important pattern in Christ, be subject one to another out of reverence for Christ. So we, we get that everywhere in the New Testament, Ephesians and uh, Philippians 2 and all, all the apostles taught that. And then out of the humility comes love and unity. You can't have love and unity unless you first have the pattern of humility. There's nothing that breaks the love and unity more than arrogance and God does not give his grace and his power, his presence to the arrogant and the proud, but only to the humble, as the Apostle James tells us. And with that love and unity, there is the important kind of authority that the church bears, that the believers have, and that is the authority of prayer. Jesus is the priest king. And he exercises authority by prayer, and then he teaches us how to do that and gives us the Spirit to show us how to pray as we ought. That authority of prayer came from um, the believers being of one accord in prayer. So the, the love and unity was an important part of the precondition for discovering the authority of prayer and then God responding by bestowing his presence on the day of Pentecost. So we see that pattern right away um, in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and 2. So this, is, this has been a lesson for us from the very, very beginning. And then finally, um, just the, the fact that every single believer has direct access to the Father, to God. And we can hear him, and we can speak to him, and we can develop a relationship with him. And um, this is, was always, this has always been 
the key to every um, advance of the of the kingdom of God in the future. Every great awakening, every revival, it always begins with massive prayer. Um, the authority of the of the praying church and everyone being directly connected to the Father and not wasting what Jesus did when he died and the temple curtain was torn in two. Now, the final thing I want to say about this is that all these seven patterns are connected together. They rise and fall together. And the center of them all is the surrendered life. So they tend to grow together, and then they also tend to fail together as well. Um, now, there's one more thing to be said here, and that is that the, the kingdom of God is, uh, has phases. So it has not only a pattern of seven parts, but it has a two-part phase throughout history. And the first phase is what we're in right now. And let me read this to you um, from Peter's second sermon, um, where he's just he's summarizing the kingdom of God as he got it from Jesus, okay? And so this is what he says, three verses here that really describe the whole thing. 2,000 two years of history and then some. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The presence of the Lord is what the Greek says here. And that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore all things as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. And so what you see as you read this, you study it, you see two parts, two phases. One is the present phase, which is the, uh, Paul calls it in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 9, the dispensation of the Spirit, or the ministry of the Spirit, or the age of the Spirit. It's a period of time when God works through the Holy Spirit, doing certain things according to what God willed during that time. That is our present way. Uh, he gives his gifts to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes what belongs to Jesus and gives it to us, according to John 16. That's the way God works. Jesus is not actually present with us himself because he's in heaven, you see. But he does promise to be present with us, but it's through the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's just the way he works, and that's the way the kingdom of God comes. Okay, by outpourings of the Holy Spirit. But then there comes a time when everything is going to change. He is going to return from heaven and be a king on the earth. John tells us that that is going to be a thousand-year period of time where Jesus is going to restore all things. So, so the purpose here is for God's original purposes for his creation to be fully restored. And so that's the second part, and that's what we are going to be dealing with in our second series of teachings. So we're, we're having two series right now. One, Glory Through Time, which tracks the kingdom advance through the first period, and then we're going to have a second 
series of teachings, totaling probably about 50 teachings. And that is going to describe what comes next, what comes after what Jesus described as the end. Um, he says, then comes the end. Well, what does he mean? He doesn't mean the end of the world. He means the end of the age, and then another period of time, the millennial reign will happen after that. So we're going to be looking at what is what does this the Bible actually teach about this? What did the apostles believe? What did the apostolic fathers of the church believe? And uh, then we'll trace that. So then the final set of teachings is going to be how shall we then live? And this is the the first word of Peter in that second sermon, repent then. Repent then means when you figure out that there is a kingdom and this kingdom is advancing, it's going to change your life. You're going to be different. You're going to be living differently. You're going to be, you're going to have a different significance to your life, a different purpose, a different goal, a different way of looking at yourself and God and the church and everything around you. And so then we have to ask ourselves, how shall we then live? And that will be the third series of teachings.